Rainbows Don't Fade With Age is taking a break for summer programming and will return on Monday the 29th of January. In the meantime, The Boldness is doing a summer special Creatives with a Disability. Keep listening to 3CR 8.55am. on 3CR 8.55am on Monday the 22nd of January 2024. The boldness is about standing up for your human rights instead of waiting for some well-meaning person to give them to you. My name is Rafael Caleb. And I hope everyone's had a reasonable start to 2020-24. We're going to be talking with a very important guest today, a lady called Jenny Hickenbotham, who is a creative artist and, more importantly, a third-year PhD candidate in the School of Arts at RMIT University. Welcome to the boldness, Jenny. Thank you, Ref. It's great to be here with you. Excellent. We're going to talk about a very important piece of work of research that you've been working on. It's one of those hot topics and always has been, and it's great that people have been looking into it. The actual title is called Is Access an Issue? of ethics. Let's get straight into it, Jenny. What does this mean? I was debating what to say to you, Raf, today and thinking, hmm, because that's the question, will I give them the answer? <laughs> or, or will you need to listen to the whole one and a half hour uh, program that we've recorded uh, at, as uh, as our, our, our workshop as part of... Um, making connections uh, with uh, the School of Education at OMIT and and Associate Professor Linda Knight has dreamed up all these uh, programs. So do you want me to give you the answer or will I I waffle around the topic a little bit? (laughs) Jenny, you don't get too much say in this because you're talking with me and part of my background, I've done interviewing on radio for about 15 years I've worked yeah. in community services for about 
uh, I think it was 14 or 15 years, there's about 60 different certificates I can call in. Would you like me to be nice about this or are we going to <laughs> go back to the Middle Ages? <laughs> uh, okay, what, what was your question again, just exactly? What did you say? What What did we talk about? No, what is uh, the well, Jenny, answer? The question is you were working on a very important research paper. Is access an issue of ethics? Tell us about it. What did you do? Yeah, okay, what did we do? We had, um, I invited a panel, Professor Linda Knight from, or Associate Professor, Professor Linda Knight with the School of Education at OMIT designed up these workshops. She did gain some funding to put them on, but not enough to pay panel panelists. So panelists were volunteers. I chose to, uh, there was a choice of questions you could respond to. And I chose this one about access and ethics. And my panelists consisted of Caroline Bowditch, who is the CEO of Arts Access and the Art Artistic Director there. Neil Turton Lane, who is the business build, build, building business um, for Better Health Network. And Daryl Taylor also works for the Better Health Network. And and really, Daryl, uh, I asked people to give me a 50-word 50, 50 bio, and Daryl just didn't do that because Daryl's one of these people who just, um, he's a sage, you know. He's um, someone who can talk about anything and everything. And he actually lives in a sustainable house up in King Lake that he opens to people because he built it himself, this um, beautiful house. It's also sustainable. Well, I'm sure that he actually does, but regarding to he actually acts ethically in sustainable living by the sound of it as well. But we yeah. really want to yeah, talk exactly. about ethics of access around arts. Okay, let's yeah. let's start. Yeah. It, let's go from a different perspective. Then, why is access needed in arts, or is access actually needed in arts? Access is needed by everyone, and we really did start out uh, by each of us. Telling our stories, it's really incredible that people's stories. Dowler was really heavily bullied in the UK school system. Um, Caroline uh, lives her life in a wheelchair and she also began life in the UK system. And uh, Neil spent a lot of time living in with on the streets uh, with his mental health issues. And I started out by saying that I believe access comes at birth, you know. Access comes with what you're born into. Are you born into a home that's going to listen to you or silence you? You know, that's access, isn't it? And um, so that's how we started out. And then we went right through why access is important, you know, to people in all those situations. So all the panel, the panel's lived experiences, they talked quite extensively about access and how access had impacted each of their, each of their lives. And, and their developments through, you know, into adulthood and with ch- as ch- children. And, you know, act, the need for access begins at birth and it extends into, um, it's throughout our lives, you know. And if, if we don't have access to water, we can't drink. If we don't have access to schooling, then we can't uh, think, create, think as well as we would have, have with, you know, with schooling. And if we don't have shelter, then we can't think at all, you know. So, so I don't. Yes, I didn't want to preempt the ending of our talk with what I believe, what we each believed ethics is, because that's sort of 
what it all leads up to, and that's why it's worth listening to the whole hour and a half, really. And then Jenny, an Jenny, 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 that's why we're going yeah, to, I, that's, that's why, this, Jenny, that's why we're yeah. going to debate this on air okay. as part of the interview, because there's some pretty interesting points that have already come mm. up in this one. Okay. Now, yeah. okay, we're talking about the need from access from a lived experience perspective from that's what's actually being said people said they've had problems around xyz they've shared their stories okay that is one perspective which makes it actually all authentic i'm going to play the devil's advocate here because i feel like being a bastard about it access is only (laughs) access is only required to the level of the actual intended audience i mean what actually is a disability to begin with or should there actually be access? If people actually identify as being part of the able-bodied community, surely that that would actually be seen as being part of the ableist community. That would be a disability from it in itself if they were not taking this into consideration because they hadn't been in, come across other ways of thinking. What are your thoughts? Just to clarify what I think you're saying is that if we don't see ourselves as different, unique, and, 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 and our uniqueness related to our disabilities, how, how can we measure our access as against someone who is, is uh, ableist? What I, that's actually part of it. This is actually a pretty lively conversation here, Jenny. It's a pretty, mm. a pretty interesting concept. I'm going to actually take it a little bit of a step further. As a person, this is actually the hypothetical situation for listeners. The person who identifies as being a person on the street, and it's clear, I reckon it's pretty clear from my voice, as a male, why should I give a, make hold space for a person to actually have access so they can get involved? Why do I, why should I care? I see, I see, I see, I see. Okay. Because, well, okay. So this is why, why our question is about ethics, isn't it? And we've defined our relationship to access by by phrasing our question in relation to ethics and access. So, um, yes, so that, of course, was where the conversation really went. And But we went around the world. We went through the environments and we went through housing and we went through um, employment. You know, we went everywhere. But you as a man, um, maybe sitting on a train, why should you get out of your seat for someone who's pregnant or, you know, that's the question, isn't it, really, or or, or in a walker or something like that. Um, and actually, you know, once I got on the train and there was this lady sitting over two seats and I said, oh, could I sit down here? And she said, no. <laughs> and I said, okay, I won't then. And she obviously had some form of disability. She didn't want me sitting there. And so I stood all the way to the city and and uh you know she um sat there watching me so to video her you know, did you do the video trick you pull out the camera <laughs> and you do a little tiktok video <laughs> no do you think I, i'm squirming out of your question there mate <laughs> you're attentive but, swim. you're you're talking <laughs> with me jenny we're going to actually put you, we're straight out in the hot seat now given that most of the funding bodies, as far as I'm aware, the people who actually make the decisions are usually who essentially they don't have a disability. There might be a cross-section, cross but the actual decision-makers mm. are people without disabilities 
how does this actually affect getting things like access funding or funding for access if it was needed? Well, I've, I've challenged people who sit on these boards to that to, about that. And I'm told that it's changing, that, you know, people with disabilities are getting positions on boards. But I'm, I'm with you, Raph. I, I feel that... Um, I feel that I, I am often overlooked because I focus on mental health uh, with my with my work, and people on boards don't understand mental health. It is changing, I think, because of COVID, and because so many people experienced um, a sense of mental health, whether they experienced it as a, a hospitalisation or just a stress um, a stress experience. Uh, people know more and have more language. And I'm prepared to talk more around mental health, but that doesn't mean these people uh, are the the um, the doorkeepers for the grants and the different opportunities and um, things that we try to gain access through through applications and through um, you know through promoting ourselves. I mean, you know, in 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 the interview, Caroline says it's really important that she. People who who are seen around the arts access buildings and facilities, it's important because uh, to them because they're more likely to get the grants. You know, so uh, yeah. Yeah, look, it's all one of those fun parts, but we're going to tie this action with mental health and play some community service announcements. So I'm just going to let people know that the Boldness now has a financial sponsor. It's called Clubmates Travel. It's holidays for people with disability and looking after mental health. You need your holidays. That's a big plug for Clubmates Travel. Let's take the play these community service announcements, then continue with the interview with Jenny Hickenbotham discussing is access an issue of ethics? Thanks, Raz. This is really good. The Boldness thanks our program sponsors, Clubmates Travel, for their financial support. Clubmates Travel are NDIS-registered providers specialising in supported holidays for people living with disability. Their holiday packages include accessible accommodation, transport, an itinerary full of inclusive activities and fun support staff. Everyone deserves a holiday. Visit clubmatestravel.com. We know you love listening to 3CR, but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. Welcome back to The Boldness on 3CR 855. A.M. My name is Rafael Caleb, and we're having that very important discussion with Jenny Hickenbotham, a third-year PhD candidate from the School of Arts at University, discussing is access an issue of ethics? And from an ethical point of view of taking ownership, the boldness does have the financial sponsor, Clubmates Travel, 
So we play their community service announcement and they actually do really good holidays too. <laughs> okay, we're going to do a little flip side again too because I said I have been involved in creativity. That's something which listeners should be aware of. So I actually do my, know my stuff pretty well here. Okay, in 2019, I went to the first ever State of the Deaf Arts Expo, which was at the Victorian Start Art Centre. Now, I identify as being part of the hearing community, and Auslan to spoken word translator was provided with no questions, no prior knowledge that I was going to be there. Is that a good stand, a relatively good standard for people to achieve as far as access goes, Jenny? Yes, I agree. Um, are you sort of referring to alter state or you're referring back for, to something you went to in 2000? No, no, I'm referring to it was the first ever State of the Deaf Arts Expo, which was an actual expo, expo. It's what you find in the major convention centres where it was a gathering of people who identify as being part of the deaf and hard of hearing communities, sharing about their experiences of this. And that's the key to this, because I think that the deaf and hard of hearing community, from my personal experience, actually have a gold standard, much better insight into what access means than other communities. What are your thoughts? Well, I wasn't there, and I don't know what the deaf and and, um, hearing disabled communities do really I wasn't familiar that they had advocacy outside of the disability sector uh you know in their in their own right um so I don't know that I can comment on that um Raph. okay I'll flip it I'll flip this around then as a member of the hearing community then is there a, what are the is there an ethical reason I should provide an Auslan translator so that people who are part of the deaf and hard of communities have the same opportunities to go and see a play. Oh, absolutely, yes. If if I mean, I'm saying yes, but you've got to have the funding to do that. And, I mean, I went to a play put on here because I'm living in Perth just at the moment by um, a small group who go to a school down in um, Mandurah and my friend Patrick Gunasekera was was performing in it. Now they didn't have an Auslan interpreter, but it was an amazing play with young and um, active students putting it on. So, what do you say to them? You know, where's your Auslan interpreter? I'm actually going to put it to you that other way because when it comes from an ethical perspective, one of those keywords has to do with, let's say, having the funding to do it. It's a good mm point that you've actually made there now generally from an ethical perspective if a person applies for funding for anything it's only applicable within the defined area which gives a geographical boundary why can't people get let's say sponsorship from private firms to do this to develop their own partnerships yeah great idea great idea or you know maybe with a Young, a young group like that who's who's belonged to a school, and the school gets it, you know, scraping together the funding to keep the school going out. 
you know, maybe um, the group who are dancing could could put out an application for um, money to fund uh, access accessibility uh, um, facilities for people. And then when they don't get the grant, they just acknowledge that they've tried. You know, we've tried this, we've tried this business, we've tried someone else, but we we failed to get the funding for the accessibility. Uh, the, uh, the, it sounds like the Jalen. It sounds like the Jalen Hint School of Radio. Name and shame. I'm not too sure on how ethical that one actually is because it's no, about, it's actually about access. With it, is that they might have their own restrictions on it too. What they yeah, can do. And, and also, also, it's a lot of work. You know, writing all those applications and sending them off, and following them up, and answering questions, and you know, it is a lot of work and takes a lot of time. And already putting on um, a, a play when you're a young student, learning, practicing your your movements, and so on, there's already a lot to do. In- Hundred Stars by Rachel O'Neill, a musician 
with a disability from regional Victoria. Unfortunately, we had a slight technical glitch and once we're all back on the internet, we continued the interview. We're having a bit of a ding-dong debate of is ethics and is access an issue of ethics? And we were discussing about a group of young students putting on a play in a school that's struggling for funding. Do they go through and say, this is what we tried to do to get money so we can actually make the shows accessible? Now, that's actually a really good one from an ethics of the access of ethics perspective because basically it's like if you've got the young students in a regional town across in Western Australia, it's a good little training ground there for that to actually happen because they're becoming pioneers and getting used to the ideas that in the arts you have to fight for everything, including how to make things accessible. Is it fair to have that type of expectations on young people that they are they getting set up to fail or should we actually make it that this is what we need to do? How should we approach it? I think, in my opinion, this is, this is the future. And so those groups, schools, um, TAFEs, universities that start looking at at accessibility and how they can work with accessibility, uh, you know, whatever way you're you're saying, you, you said my thought that um, you put up where where you've applied and where you've been rejected. You, you thought that was um that's not not ethical. Yeah, you you. I'm not because, too sure because, how ethical. It, I'm not too yeah. sure whether I'd like to um say as a person who d- identifies as a disability that the right thing to do is actually to name an organisation that may assist other people in other areas and damage the disability movement. Mm. Yeah. Um, yes. I'm not saying yes or no. You know, each organiser, I'm not an organisation, you know, so I don't have to make that call. But um, And each each organisation, each TAFE, each, each, each community school, Will make their own decisions in re- in regard to those things, whether they whether they call call people out who don't support, or you know, or whether they or whether they only name those that do support, or whether they um, refer in a secondary manner to those that, that don't support and do support. You know, um, all, all that is those those ethical questions. Yeah, they are are difficult, and uh, you know, even for even for the, the students putting on, on the performance, you know, three m- might go one way and three go another way. You know, they, 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 they've got to have a, a democratic process as to whose voice be heard. You know, it's... Uh, oh, that's, using, that's using very strong terminology there, Tini. A democratic mm, yeah. process. As far as I'm concerned, we're living in Australia and I'm 100% convinced that Australia is not actually a democratic country for a lot of reasons. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Let's go this little thing across, because that actually brings into stuff like decision-making. How does a person 
who I'm going to play the real devil's advocate with this one, a person who might have, let's say, identified deaf and hard of hearing and they're paired with a person with a vision impairment and they've got an Auslan uh, translator there because ethically the language from the deaf and hard of hearing perspective, especially in the deaf culture and community, is Auslan, but the person actually has to use spoken word to go across to put this, have a discussion with a person who's visually impaired who can't see it. What about how does, yeah. this, how does this work from, let's say, an audio description perspective? Yes. Um, well, that's it, you know. You start this and, and, and the costs go higher and higher and higher. Uh, where do you stop? Where do you start? Yeah, I understand what you're saying, Wef, and um, it is an issue, but I think the thing is we got to get started, you know. And obviously Auslan is the place people are starting and it's the place they're, they're persisting with. Um, and some of the other things, the, um, you know, the um, visual visual interpretations and um, I, I'm not familiar with all of them, you know, all of the access. Um, you know, I, I feel very ignorant in regard to um, the types of um, processes we use and initiatives we use to help disabled people feel a part of the arts community. But, um, you know, I think slowly the as we as we start accessing and using and implementing these things they'll get cheaper they'll, they'll become more people trained to facilitate them that and and they'll become more accessible and i think they'll you know like like cleaning our teeth eventually they'll be part of our daily routine i've shut him up <laughs> i can't hear you at I can't hear. Well, I said, if you really can't hear me, I'm so glad mm. to identify it as being a person that I can actually see what you're doing there. And you were saying <laughs> that you're audio. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I did it with one ear when you ignored me. When I did it with two ears, you got the picture. Left it off a 2020 site. Boom, boom. No. <laughs> okay, we're having an excellent discussion about this, but I'm going to just put it down the other way too. I would actually argue from an accessibility and ethics perspective, the deaf and hard of hearing community did not do any favour with the Auslan translators because I remember that it was only changed very recently, a couple of years ago. If you wanted to book an Auslan translator for that level of accessibility, you had to book them in two-hour spots, even if you only required five minutes. And they, oh, yeah. and they had to... Um, do a swap at the 15-minute mark, regardless yeah. of whether they were used or not, and they had the right to cancel if they felt like it. And, hello, there's a big shortage. There's a bit of an inequality there. How do you make it accessible when the people to actually make it accessible, like the Auslan translators for the deaf and hard community, one, they've actually, I believe they've actually had at that stage outpriced absolutely everything. You're looking 200 bucks an hour to get an Auslan translatoring per hour, two hour minimum, that's 400 bucks there. You had to book a second translator at the same time. That's $800 out of an um, access budget if you actually had one to even start with. But they've actually yeah. changed it where you can actually book it in smaller slots. So I don't think they did them any favours. 
from an ethical perspective of saying we're trying to actually make it accessible for everyone. Hmm. Well, I think we've got to look at at the fact that there has been change. People are looking at these issues that you're bringing up. Um, you know, and and there, ha- there there is change. There's there's positive change. People are trying to make um, Auslan um, more accessible, and um, maybe it's not going to get cheaper, but the cost of living is going to, you know, is going to go up to um, meet the, um, you know, meet the costs uh, eventually. And um, you know, it'll 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 it, it won't be able to rise for a long time probably because because already it's costly and it, and they know that. And so, you know, soon soon down the track we'll have the Auslan interpreters um striking for uh higher higher pay. You know? Oh look, that's great that they actually do this. I actually remember there was this great film by Sarah Barton. Of course you know the one which I am talking about <laughs> the name happens to escape me and I'm doing a very good job of oh, okay. Defiant no, Lives. It, it is yeah. actually called Defiant Lives. There's a very oh, famous, okay. very famous scene in it where people with a disability are sitting there arguing with police for the right to get arrested for obstructing traffic and the copper is trying to wave them off. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not actually a set, this is not actually a setup under ethics of access. Should the yeah. being actually arrested for doing something for the right to get arrested, or mm. is this actually being politically correct and going insane? And that scene was from about the nineteen seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, talking about film and my, uh, you, you know, his name on um, mid, the midwives, the the uh, is it Ted with the the, the Down syndrome boy. Well, is that I am not quite familiar with that one. No, you don't know. Oh, anyway, he's my my cousin's son, and um, she, my cousin Jane, was uh, um, trained as an actor when she was, you know, a young woman, and she married um, an actor, and um, they had these three boys. The third being Danny. Is that's his natural name, um, not his acting name. And she was telling me when I was over there and he was acting in the the midwives, he was one of the first disabled people we saw on TV, really, and now it's changed quite a bit. But um, she was the one who had to teach him his lines. The, 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 um, you know, and she said it was, it was hard work, hard, hard, hard and consistent, you know, it took hours and hours for her to teach him his lines. And, well, and so well, let's see, Jenny, Jenny, from a from actually a filming perspective, having been involved with film and the making of them, I can I will tell you now that just because you've got lines which are supposed to be learned there, more often than not, that you'll be doing a rewrite on the actual date, and it won't make too much difference what your yeah. lines actually were, because you'll have two right. cards that are supposed to be out of sight, and you're supposed to be able to go through and do that quick little. Impro and yeah. editing. It's yeah, not right. a total recall. Yeah, yeah, right, right. He did go to school, and uh, she fought, had to fight every year in in uh, uh, in 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 the courts 
to get him accepted to a normal school. And she did that, and he he passed his. Uh, oh, I'm not quite sure. Year ten, I think he passed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great, so it's a great a, story. Hmm. I'm not sure about the cues. I don't know the story of that, but yeah. yeah. But Colonel Fakalexi is a great story there about access mm. and the ethics of access, yeah. because historically there have been communities that have been excluded from. I would that horrible word, mainstream schooling, yeah. but particularly yeah. if they were part of the deaf um, community, if they mm. were a person that was visually impaired, a mobility aid comes into it um, as well too. And even like with our good friends in the Indigenous community, of uh, different schooling for different people. Now, under ethics yeah. of access, when it comes down to the arts, is that arts can be used as that platform, the one where is it was a show like that, so Kingswood Country, complete with mm. what in today's values with its extremely racist referrals, were they actually humorous or were they actually making a community statement of what we actually need to change? As a mm. person, I can't argue one way or the other. I would actually say that, um, comedy, for example, it is subjective. Yeah. What are your thoughts as far as the ethics of comedy when they are clearly being politically incorrect? Making fun of, uh, yeah, uh, yeah uh, yes, it, 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 it's a difficult thing and um, I don't think we're going to stop it. Uh, um and I think uh, what we've seen with comedy is that people turning to make fun of themselves. Um, that that that's the that's the shift. So we're not making fun of other people; we're making fun of ourselves and our own disabilities and our own our, our own failings and you know our own children and our own partners and you know and and uh, which um, can be issues if you separate from your partner or you know. <laughs> When your children go off or whatever. Well, it's um, that, that for the record, if anything you say, I can and will <laughs> hold it against you and nothing <laughs> is off the record. Yeah, yeah that's right. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. the kind of like is that kind of like speaking of which, is that, Jenny, you're actually 100% right, especially in we're coming up to this time of the year where you've got National Royal Comedy which actually happens mm. heats across in Victoria anyway. Yeah. Where generally there is actually a bit of a hidden scene, a bit of a backstory where the trending comedy is actually not to go up and take the mickey out of other people. It's actually to tell stories against themselves. Yeah. And to yeah. actually put that humor. Some people get it. I have seen some of those comedians. Some of them are actually, those stories are very funny. And some of them, yeah. I am not too sure what they are doing on stage. But look, yeah. different strokes for <laughs> different people. And yeah. I'm not here to say should they not do it or couldn't do it, but they're doing the best with what they can. And that's what I think mm. ethics of access is. They're doing the best mm. that they can with it. Yeah, and I went like being um, writing songs and being an artist who tries to contribute, put out, put my work into the community uh, to an audience. I always remember back uh, about uh, oh, 15 years ago 
a, a group of um, friends went to see um, a comedy show put on by a woman um, who had experienced a lot of trauma. And, and they came away and their comments were that she had re-traumatised the whole audience and that she had just gone too far in revealing the truths of her life and that that audiences shouldn't be subject to um, such abuses, you know. And um, and yet yet they weren't quite so open spoken about it, but um, that was that was that was the result of what they were saying was that this actor had just um, abused them all essentially the whole audience, and uh, they wondered, you know, how can these things be stopped? Oh, look, I'm going to actually take you up on this one because we're having an excellent ding-dong debate about this. Yeah, yeah, that's fine, yeah, yeah. It really comes into this part, trigger warnings. Are they necessary? I sometimes do play music as well. Our standard line is if you require a trigger warning, there's the door you're not mature enough to being our audience. If it pushes buttons, deal yeah. with it. Mm. Make up your mind. That's yeah, yeah. one trigger warning. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. walking to our space and a couple of well-known comedians, uh, one of them is a, a female comedian, let's say Taylor. I think it's Taylor Thompson. She actually makes a point. Okay. If you're going to one of her shows, if you're going to bring in your politically correct hat, Please stay at home. You came out for a good yeah. time, not to actually no. um, where, yeah. oh, my God, this is wrong. In fact, you've yeah, yeah, yeah. this is comedy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ricky Gervais, yeah. fantastic. I love Ricky Gervais. One of the funniest people I've met and probably one of the most wrong bits of things I've come, but nonetheless, yeah, yeah, yeah. hilarious. Yeah. I follow him on Facebook, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there you go. Yes. So I think that um you know there I think these are these are these are um lessons we're learning and changes we're making. The um the, the, the lady you spoke to who you know who 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 produces art that's uh chronically um challenge, emotionally challenging and 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 uh tra- traumatizing um she would let that be known to the audience somehow, you know, that would be on the posters, that would be, and it wouldn't be a trigger warning as such. Be aware there is, you know, there there is rough emotional uh, seas ahead. Something like that you might say, or you might not say anything. You might just um, make sure there's somehow the audience knows there's a bit of a rough journey ahead emotionally. Um, you know, not last year, the year before, I was part of the big anxiety at uh, OMIT, and we had an exhibition in the in the main uh, OMIT gallery, and it was all the higher um, uh, research students' uh, response to their emotional dis- experiences of trauma and distress, and um, they didn't. Some of the work was challenging. And they didn't have any any trigger warnings at all, but they had extra staff there um, who could talk to people. Um, and if anyone looked um, a bit distressed or anyone was uh, sitting um, anxiously, or you know, these these extra staff were paid to support support um, the audience uh, emotionally if if it became evident they needed something, or uh, people look- could go on. You know, they could go and ask for support. Let's play some community service announcements and 
then continue the interview with Jenny Hickenbotham, a third-year PhD candidate at the School of Arts at RMIT University in Melbourne. The Boldness thanks our program sponsors, Clubmates Travel, for their financial support. Clubmates Travel are NDIS-registered providers specialising in supported holidays for people living with disability. Their holiday packages include accessible accommodation, transport, an itinerary full of inclusive activities and fun support staff. Everyone deserves a holiday. Visit clubmatestravel.com. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111 500. That's 1300 111 500. Wellways supports 3CR. I did. They did. They did do that. Yeah. Look, and it's great that they were able to do this. Is that I'm going to do this other one too. This is from the artist's perspective, where it comes down to ethics of access. Let's say when a person is up on stage, that is their workplace. We come into what type of discrimination and harassment is acceptable, seeing we're supposed to have safe workplaces for everyone, does that include entertainers or are they fair game for everybody to pick over like vultures looking at a carcass? Oh, no, of course not. I I, I don't believe anyone deserves to be, um, you know, looked over like a carcass, you know. Um, no one deserves that because all of us are trying our best. Whether, whether we've misjudged something or that's going to happen occasionally, um, you know, or, or whether we, we, we just emotionally need to get this stuff out. I mean, usually you wouldn't choose a public, a public venue to do that, but some people do, you know, and it just goes over, over the top. Um, and that's what happened with my friend Molly, you know, that the performer was just a bit over the top and just trying to get, get her baggage out, I think. Um, but, no, I don't. I don't believe anyone should be abused. If you're brave enough to get up on stage and have a go and express yourself, I think you should be at least acknowledged and and awarded for that. You know, even if you weren't very entertaining or you made us cry. You know? well, that's actually a great. That's actually a great, great way to round things out. Is that as a performer and as a radio host, some of the things I hear what people say. Anything yeah. in my world, and yeah. it's yeah, back yeah. and forth. Yeah. 
I remember, so I actually recently recorded this poem. It's called The Heckler, and mm. it's kind of, it's got a little flip side to it, but the ending turns around. If you think it's, um, if you think it's liable, go ahead and sue. Without any yeah. identifying details, ego says yeah. that. That's right, kid. I heard what you said. You just told your mate that I was completely shit. Well, thank you very much. You're the kind of idiot that gets on stage and forgets your name, let alone your lines. Bang, boom. <laughs> <laughs> it, actually t- it actually takes the role reversal straight into it. Yeah. But yeah. That's kind yeah. of like, to me, that Dixie is a bit of doing that educational stuff around disability and access to make things happen. But you've got mm. some very exciting things that are actually happening to you recently. You've just put out an album. And yep. Oh, tell us about small. Tell yeah. us this little, those recordings that you've actually put out, and we're going to play one of these songs. Yeah, it's only four songs, and they were recorded at the Make It Up Club uh, by Stevie, and uh, Darlene um, has uh, mastered them for me and and set them up in, in band camp so anyone can now listen to four of my songs. Yeah, it's only taken a few years, but uh, that's very exciting. And then the other exciting thing is uh, before I come back to Melbourne, my last Perth excitement and extravaganza is singing at the Pika Room, which is at the Pika, which is the Perth Institute of Contemporary Art. And um, I'm going to be singing in the Blue Room there with Jane Stark as my company. And a company uh, should be uh, improvising, and I've got four songs or five songs, I think, to sing there. Some shorter ones and a couple of longer ones, and um, yeah, and and that is being supported by the Definitives, or actually, I'm the support for the Definitives. So I'm better get it right. <laughs> so, no, no, uh, and, 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 and under ethics of access, you're the ones on radio. It's not what they're doing. They're the support act for Jenny Hickenbotham. <laughs> And, um, so the definitives are a band, uh, supported by, uh, a gallery called Dada. And they, they, uh, they, they live up in the Midlands in the Dada up there. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually what the reference is because there is a style of drama. It's actually called Dada as well. Oh, okay. No, there are these type of plays there. And I'm not too sure what people actually see in going to a Dada play because they're essentially plays about <laughs> okay. nothing. But I've got no doubt that Dada for the Definitives is a great organisation. I'm sure they do wonderful yeah. things too. I think the band, the, the, the Definitive band is good. And the, the, the Dada here, it's D-A-D-A-A. It might be spelled differently. But and they actually, do workshops and different things. It's all about um, disability um, access. Yeah, but and that, and that actually is a different spell into the art style of drama called yeah. Dada, which is D-A-D-A, which is yeah, one right. A at the end of it. But we want – now, Jenny, you're going to introduce a song now. What about okay. Breakfast for Bear? How would you introduce that one? Uh, Breakfast for Bear, it was written after I bought my caravan and I'd been homeless for a while and then I had an accident. Uh, I had been homeless in that I was living in a tent. Uh, and then I got into hospital because I fell over and hurt my leg and then I went into respite care for um, a month and I had to have people looking after my dogs 
And then, um, yeah, then I wrote this song about being homeless. So, yeah. so and could you, and who, what is this song? It's called just your the name of the song and the person who sang it. Okay, uh, the song is "Breakfast for Bear," uh, sung by Jenny Hickenbotham, and accompanied by Dale Gorfinkel, Darling, and. Um, oh, uh, uh, um, Rosalind Orlando. I would like to thank Jenny Hickenbotham for her time coming on to this summer special for the boldness featuring creators with a disability. That was a very interesting discussion with Jenny around his access and issue of ethics. Now, the plan was to play Breakfast with Bear. Unfortunately, the file didn't arrive. So what I decided to do to close out the interview is play an extract of the recording of the panel discussion with an introduction of what is access an issue of ethics was about. RMIT Mapping Future Imaginaries, Enabling Impact Research Network Making Connection Program. The Making Connection Co-Labs take place at RMIT 11th to the 15th of December 2023, produced by the Mapping Future Imaginaries Network, Making Connection explores the importance of creative encounters for social connection. Come and explore with artists, researchers and industry specialists how creative encounters build our relationships with place and help design frameworks for making connection. Making connection is access an issue of ethics. Mental health and disability peers panel will workshop the topic of access in a capitalist democracy. Access is essential to opportunities starting in babyhood, rolling through to life where attitudes, self-esteem and thereby capacity are formed. Should we be tackling Australian ethical systematic beliefs or something else in supporting changing access to equality for disabled peoples? Jenny Hickenbotham is an RMIT PhD candidate in fine art with an emphasis on her own lived experience which draws intently on neuroscience, family, social and community relationship connections. She's a musician writing songs about her own life, politics and the environment and performing with improvising musicians like Joel Stern and Dale Gorfinkel. The panel discussion with Carolyn Bowditch, who is the Arts Access CEO, Faye Jackson, who is the inaugural Deputy Commissioner of the New South Wales Mental Health Commission, Neil Turtle-Lang, who is an NDIS advocate, and Daryl Taylor from Star Health Mental Health Advocate, and the technical support and recording was done by Dal Gorfinkel, now, in this extract, Jenny plays a song 
one of her own competitions. It's a happy life. Thank you very much for joining me on this summer special by the boldness featuring creators with a disability. We wish you all a happy new year, season's greetings, and make sure that you tune in to the boldness on the 31st of January 2024. Let's go to the extract. Keep listening to 3CR 855 AM. Um, I performed uh, on Tuesday night at the Make It Up Club and this was one of the songs that I sang and um, someone responded to me that that was this song created for him the most emotional experience or um, yeah, feeling that he's... Um, Enjoy, he's, he's experienced when, while at the Make It Up Club listening to music. <laughs> so I hope you get your emotional, uh, bodies in, in order. <laughs> okay, it's called, um, but you're happy, right? <laughs> I live in a caravan, but you're happy, right? Got everything you need. I've got three dogs. I've got capacity to feed myself and sleep safely. But you're happy, right? Got everything you need? I've got a small job, eight hours a week. Pays for little things. Car service, dog's health. But you're happy, right? Got everything you need. I've got connections at the pub. People who nod, people who say hi. But you are happy, right? Got everything you need? I've got my studies, PhD leading into third year, a, f- a finish to my endeavours. But you're happy you ate, got everything you need. My family's estranged, apart from my mother. My mother's 95, developing dementia. But you're happy you ate, got everything you need. But she's better than the rest in her village, she tells me, hugging her dog. But you're happy, right? Got everything you need. I'm learning estrangement from the mother. She never was the mother I wanted. But you're happy, right? Got everything you need. I drink a bit cider and wine that sets me free from my anxieties. But you're happy, right? Got everything you need. I walk my dogs on the beach. I love the salty wind, the blue, and the sand in my toes. But you're happy, right? Got everything you need. I got a friend, but she doesn't drink. Won't go to the pub with me. But she, you're happy, right? Got everything you need. I visit her at a tiny house. And our dogs play while she works in the garden. But you're happy, right? Got everything you need. I used to have a veggie garden with ducks and chickens and bees. But you're happy, right? Got everything you need. Got nothing now. Just a caravan. Three beautiful dogs and the breeze. 
Got nothing now but my PhD, which will set me free to a future unknown, untried, unthought. But you're happy, right? Got everything you need. But isn't that life? It's my song. Thank you.